Turn to Isaiah 54. And I'm going to, I'm, Lord willing, I'm going to come to uh, Costa Rica again so I can hang out with my friends, the Bramers, and see God working uh, 2.0 in that church that I was at many, many years ago. And uh, I'm going to pray about going to Brazil. I, that's, a, that's a prayer right there, brother. Uh, I'm glad to have the opportunity today to hang out with uh, the missionaries and the, the pastors. It was a joy. And it's exciting to me to see this church prepare for the future and uh, prepare to reach a generation that, um, that is being forgotten. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with the vision shared tonight. I want to preach for a few minutes on this subject. And I've never preached out of this text, I don't believe, on strengthening stakes so we can lengthen our cords. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege to be in your house with your people and your word, with your spirit that we sense here. And I ask you in the strong name of your son Jesus to so move in this place tonight that we will know we've been in the presence of God. I pray, Lord, that you will help individuals in this church. Lord, I know we start talking about missions. Everybody goes to the money part. But, Lord, I pray they would see the faces of these church planters and missionaries when they look at those cards. And, God, I pray that you would give them vision and burden to do what you call them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we see my family? I want to throw up my family picture. Uh, everybody else had a picture. Can we can you make it bigger? Look, it makes us all look smaller. There, that's my 91-year-old mother in the middle there. This is her birthday. We're down at a little recreational lake nearby. My two daughters, daughter-in-law, son, son-in-law, and six grandchildren right there. Though you can't see them very well. Uh, that's, that's us. And we went to a little storefront building, Dunn, North Carolina, September of 1984. I, I, when you were showing that, that awning is the coolest thing on the front of your church, frankly. I, I'm impressed with the location. It's kind of cool and organic, and I'd, I'd want to be a part of that if I was in your city. But when I went there to our little, that our storefront was nasty. When I got there, they had shag carpet about that thick. How many remember shag? Let's see your hand. Remember shag carpet? Oh, sure, a few of you do. Younger people saying, what, what is he talking about? Shag carpet that thick, and it was something someone donated. You church planners, isn't it interesting how everybody wants to donate stuff to you? If let me, Can I just give you a hint? If it's too rough for you to use in your house, we don't want it. Can I just go ahead and tell you that? But somebody gave us that shag carpet. So they put it down. We had an upright piano they had painted. A big upright piano, a little bitty room. There was probably, tell you what, five families, a few singles meeting there. One Sunday morning, I remember getting up to preach and... Uh, I, the, the people, it was like everybody was just usually sitting there. We had a few visitors that morning, and there was like this move. It almost looked like a wave. And I thought, this is wonderful. Man, the spirit's moving this morning or something. And come to find out, a rat about that long had run across the front of that storefront building that morning. And uh, that was the only time I ever saw them move like that in all those years. The good news is that God continued to add to the church and bless that uh, work we ended up going to two locations we we took the adults kept the children the young people in that location took the adults to a best western hotel where we baptized in their pool uh in the warm weather and the church continued growing in those two locations we bought some land outside of town and god has added to the church daily such as should be saved and it's encouraging to see um what jesus has done in in that place deep in the 70-year captivity of God's people. And for the record, 
them being in exile um, reminds me that we somehow or another we've missed the thought. We think that we are not uh, captives. We're exactly like Israel was when they were in Babylon. You, this is not your home, just for the record, and we're not supposed to be at home here. Uh, when you get too comfortable in this world, that's when uh, you, you begin to get stale and settled, and, and that's when churches die. But we're, we're exiles too, just like they were. And they were discouraged, and they were weak. And God had a word for his people here in the 54th chapter. Here's what he's about to say to them as, as his people, his servants. You're about to break out. You're going to see that in the text. You're about to break forth. Your influence is increasing. And I'm going to say that to your church. Your influence is enlarging, not just in missions, but right here. Right here in, is this Monet or are we in, how do you say that? Do you say Moni? Moni or Monet? Um, they, they brought me here to raise a little Monet this week. But the truth is, uh, wherever we are, wherever we are at this moment, God wants to enlarge this work. And enlargement is coming. The family is increasing. I want you to keep that in mind as we read the text. Uh, follow along with me in your Bible as I read uh, from my translation. And, and let's look and see what God has to say to us in the text. And then I want to lift some thoughts tonight. Sing, O barren. Sing? How do you sing when you're in captivity? Thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate, talking about the Gentiles and the pagans, than the children of the married wife, Israel, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, here's my text, and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt, there it is again, Break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities. There's our missions connection. Thy seed shall make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither shalt thou be confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. You, that's the reason why you're in captivity in the first place. You're sin, and you, you disconnected from me. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. You see, there's hope. He's giving them hope. You're not going to remain in captivity forever. The God of the whole earth shall he be, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth. When thou wast refused, saith thy God. Look at this now. For a small moment I have forsaken thee. I, yeah, I, I sent you down there to captivity. I'm the reason why you're there. It's not the Babylonians, not the Assyrians. I sent you down there. But with great mercies will I gather thee. Boy, if I'd have been Israel, I'd have been glad to hear that right now. You're not going to die down there in captivity. In great mercy, I will gather thee. In a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment, God said to Israel, to his people. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. What encouragement. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be wroth or angry with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. Boy, all the times he's saying, I'm going to have mercy on you, I'm going to have mercy on you, and I'm going to enlarge you. Verse 11, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair color, 
and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make the windows thy windows of agates and, and the gates of carbuncles and all the borders of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression. That's where you are now, but that's getting ready to change. For thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth coals in the fire, and bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I've created the wester to uh, destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And you say, why would you read that whole text? Well, because I want to talk to you about what God was saying to uh, Israel directly and to his servants you say well the context here the the passage is to uh yep who it is it's to god's promised family it's to his children and he applies it to the servants and mentions his servants in particular in the last part of this text now tonight i want us to think about uh what he was saying to his people the first thing he was saying is have you heard me are you listening to me i know you're in captivity but are you listening to me number two not only have you heard me but do you believe me? Do you believe what I'm saying is true? You know, if I'd have been down there in captivity, it, uh, I would have been glad to hear from God, but there's an element of them. By the way, a lot, not all the people of God are going to leave captivity. They're going to get comfortable down there, and many of them are going to remain there. But some are going to return. Uh, the, the temple has already been a number of them returned for the building of the rebuilding of the temple, but, but a lot of people that are hearing God speak don't really believe Him. And I want to say something to us tonight during this moment. If we really do believe that Jesus Christ is the only answer for Benton, Arkansas, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform the lives of Costa Ricans and people in South and Central America and in Brazil and everywhere you have missionaries, if we really believe that the gospel is the answer for the challenges of the people who live in your neighborhood, who uh, occasionally attend this church or that you know uh, that you work with, if we really do believe that. You see, if Israel didn't really believe that God had a plan for them beyond this captivity, then, th- then they would miss everything they're getting ready to tap in on. Do you, have you heard me, he's asking them. Do you believe me? And then thirdly and finally, do you, uh, will you trust me? Will you obey me? Do you see it? He's saying to these people, get ready. The family is enlarging the uh, Gentiles and the desolate. To the Gentiles and the desolate, he says, I love them too. Have you ever thought about God being a missionary God? Did you know the mission of God is to redeem and rescue people? That's his whole mission. He's a missionary God. He's saving sinners to bring glory to himself. God is saying to his people, get ready. I heard somebody give this quote the other day. I can't remember who said it. I wish I could give him credit. But you know how to make something your own, don't you? The first time you say it, you know, I heard Jason say this, and you give it. The next time you say it, I heard somebody say this. And the next time you said it, the thought occurred to me the other day that that's when it becomes yours, Tom. Missions is not a way of doing certain things, but it's a certain way of doing everything. Missions is not a way of doing certain things, but a certain way of doing everything. Our commission, we know what it is. Go into all the world. 
2018, 7,655,957,369 people. Uh, and our responsibility is to take the gospel to all of them. And, and I can almost hear somebody say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. We are, we are exiles in Babylon. The church today is, is viewed, people are laughing at, the, at evangelical Christianity today. I mean, people don't want to hear it. They're not interested in it. Oh, that's because you're in Babylon. Quit trying to think you're, you're not, uh, you're not uh, living without captivity. You're living in Babylon. My, my new pastor, who's sharing responsibilities with me before I retire, has started a sermon series on, uh, the, on the church living in Babylon, living uh, a, a godly life, a Daniel life in a Babylon world. That's where we are. And when we think about this captivity and, ex- as, and exiles, God has a word for we exiles tonight. Let me give it to you. Two or three thoughts. Number one, I want us to let's get serious when it comes to dealing with our sin. Look at verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth unto singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. He said, he said your barrenness is an issue. To his own people, he said, you're here because of your sin. You're in captivity because of your sin. You know why churches are struggling and not enjoying the blessing of God and the glory of God? We spent a week last week in the church that I lead just repenting of sin, just dealing with the sin of pride and anger and wrath and malice and filthy communication coming out of our mouths. We uh, we spent a week uh, dealing with the sin of apathy. And the challenges that go along with trying to operate in a supernatural work of the gospel in the energy of our flesh. And it was really cool. I think I told you last night, for three hours on Sunday, one after the other came and stood before that large congregation to testify of the fact that God had convicted their heart of sin. Oh, if Israel could have only done that before God had to get their attention. But instead, they rebelled against him. They end up in captivity. And tonight, I want us to recognize that we're not at home. And let's get serious and deal with our sin. The barrenness, the barrenness that's going on in our churches is troubling me. And we're not going to send missionaries. We're not going to go into the, new, to the next towns. We're not going to go beyond our borders until we first get a mission vision for our own life. And uh, did you hear him talk about his neighbors and inviting them in? I mean, that, these are things that God's people have to do. Barrenness, it's their sin that's got them there in the first place. Number one, let's get serious. Number two, I want you to see, secondly, let's sing with faith. What in the world would make them sing? I, I've been meditating on this text and, and studying it for some time. Sing, O barren, and here's why. You're about to break forth, but you can sing because you remember what God has done. Have you noticed where he put this text? It's nestled right after the greatest, in my opinion, the sweetest passage on Christ in all of the Old Testament. In the 53rd, in the 53rd chapter, he, he says, uh, uh, beginning in, let's just look at a couple of verses, beginning in verse 6, chapter 53, he says, uh, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a reminder of what Jesus did for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. And then the latter part of verse 53, he says, He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I wonder if there's anybody in this room that's really glad that God saved them. Anybody like that? I, I was, um, I, by the way, I'm, I'm a, 
I'm older, so therefore I'm, I'm a little more conservative in some ways than, than some. Um, and I, I've never been one to get excited about rap, Christian rap or otherwise. I, I, I've, I've tried to. I can't understand the words. I mean, I, I, I just can't. But somebody gave me something the other day that has brought such joy to my heart. And I haven't heard this man rap it yet. And I don't hope not to. But I, I look at it like a poem. Can I just call it a poem? It's not a rap. It's a poem. Would you follow with me if you're saved for a minute? Have you heard of Penelope Judd? Anybody in this room? You have been? Anybody else? I'm getting ready to introduce y'all to somebody really special. Listen to this. Is it cool, Ben? Isn't this wonderful? Once upon a time in a distant land, far beyond the sea, where there lived no man or woman. In fact, lo and behold, the oldest person there was 12 years old. Because all the grown-ups had washed away in a flood. One town in particular there was called Mud. Because every sister, cousin, and brother from head to toe in mud they were covered. But anyway, in this town called Mud, there lived a little girl named Penelope Judd. Now Penelope was a very sad, sad girl because she was living in a bad, bad world where kids teased each other and acted real mean. They lied and cheated and stole and their speech was obscene. With no grown-ups around, nobody was really wise, so every kid did that which was right in their own eyes. Penelope would cry like every single day. No matter what she did, the tears wouldn't go away. But deep down in her heart, she hoped it would get better because of what her grandpa had written her in a letter. He said, Penelope, it's great news that I bring on the mountaintop. There lives a great king. The king has a son, and being a proud father, he's going to throw the prince a huge party in his honor. But the good part, and I hope it gets you excited, Penelope Judd, you are officially invited. He's sending a dove. Woo, boy, oh, boy. If, you, if you're saved, you know anything about the Bible, this is starting to get a hold of you. The Holy Spirit, he's sending a dove. He'll tell you all you need to know. Just have your bags packed and be ready to go. It's been such a long time, Penelope. She was waiting. She wondered if the letter was true or just faking. But one day she was playing outside, and to her great surprise, the dove arrived. He said, off we go with no delay. Don't let nobody try to make you stay. We're going to see the king. We're on our way, and, and all the old things are going to pass away. The dove told her that he was sent by the king. If she wanted to go, she had to run and grab her things. So Penelope said, okay, I'll be right back. Ran into the house and came back out with her knapsack. The dove said, Penelope, the party is in, the, in a day. Stay alert. Follow me and I'll lead the way. So as he flew and Penelope walked the path, she waved goodbye to her friends and they started to laugh. They said that she was silly for following the dove just to go to some stupid party up above. Penelope and the dove continued on their way, but then she got sad because part of her wanted to stay. But then she thought to herself, why would I want to stay? Because all they do is play in the mud all day and while they're doing that, I'm going to see the king. It made Penelope so happy she started to sing. Off I go with no delay and ain't nobody going to make me stay. I'm going to see the king. I'm on my way and all the old things are going to pass away. Now, when they had been walking for a long, long time, they reached the foot of the mountain and they started to climb. Penelope got scared, not sure if she could keep up going because the mountain was very, very steep. On top of that, it was now dark outside. The dove said, keep your eyes on me. I'll be your guide. Getting to the top was a difficult trip, but the dove was there to pick her up whenever she slipped. And she was so excited when they got near the top that she didn't even stop when her knapsack dropped. The dove led her to the palace and said, farewell. See you inside. He flew away. Penelope rang the bell. A huge angel looked her up and down. 
She knew something was wrong because he had a big frown. Can I help you, ma'am? Yes, I'm here for the party. I have an invitation. He said, I'm so sorry. There's no way I can let you through these doors. The king won't let anyone dirty up his floors. She didn't understand, so without coming near her, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a mirror. And for the very first time, she saw that she was dirty. The palace was spotless. She knew she was unworthy. As the angel continued, I'm sorry, little friend. But a voice inside the party said, you can let her in. Mm. The next thing she knew, the prince himself was at the door. He looked at her, smiled, and said, there's room for one more. He reached out and touched her. Instantly she was clean, wearing the brightest robe that she had ever seen. If the mud kids had seen it, they would have gone blind. Where'd you get it, she asked. He said, actually, it's mine. And as he led her in through the palace doors, he sang the sweetest song she had ever heard before. Long ago, I laid aside my crown. I became a mud kid, traveled to your town. They kicked me out, didn't want me around, but those who love me get to share my crown. I wonder if there's anybody in this room that used to be a mud kid that shares the crown of Jesus. Amen or not? Hey, look here. I'm telling you, if anything motivates me to do missions, it's this. I was a lost, hell-bound, drunkard's boy living in Winston-Salem, North Carolina with no hope for, for anything in the future. And the one thing that came was the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm not the same today. And I have a hope down in my soul that allows me to sing. Sing, O Israel. Sing, O servants of God. Not only have you been redeemed, but you have the message of the gospel to take. Let's get serious about our sin. Let's sing with faith. And then finally, here's my message. Let's strengthen our stakes so that we can lengthen our cords. God wants to extend and expand his family. He, he's never wanted to be about just us four no more. His, his family, expanding it is very important. Do you notice the terminology about verse uh, 3? Talking about the Gentiles and the desolate cities. He wants them to be inhabited. I wonder... Who are your desolates? Could it be your co-workers and your family members and your neighbors? Um, you know, I was, telling, uh, I was telling one of the pastors tonight about this little girl that moved to our town. I can't get her off my heart. I don't know if I'm going to have to go to Salzburg, Austria, because she was an international student. She came to Christ. Her parents came. No kids in that entire city, in that whole region, know the gospel. None of them. She's the only one. She came here and ended up in a church where the gospel was preached and the Spirit of God spoke to her heart. Now, the only hope for that region is that little girl who knows Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I could say a lot more about that, but church planting. We're now planting in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and in Durham, North Carolina, and in Charlotte, North Carolina right now. But the desolates... He wants to enlarge. He wants us to strengthen the stakes here and in this church, Jackson Creek, and in your church and the church I lead. And, and he wants us to strengthen our stakes so that we can lengthen our... The only way we're going to be able to help and be a part of and pray and support these missionaries is if we have strong ministries here, strong stakes here. And then we can lengthen our cords. I, I've been meditating on this a little bit, and I was reminded, you know, it's going to take a change in our thinking. Have you read anything by Rosaria Butterfield? Have you heard of Rosaria Butterfield? She's a prolific writer now, a pastor's 
wife, but before she became that, she was a radical lesbian in, uh, in the South. I mean a radical. And this old preacher uh, wrote an article, and he wasn't unkind to the LGBTQ community. He just wrote an article stating what the Bible has to say. It infuriated her when she was living in her, in her lifestyle of sin. And so she calls this old man, she cusses him up one side and down the other. How long has it been since you had a good cussing? <laughs> It'll do you good, especially if you're doing like this guy. He listened to every bit of it. And with tears in his voice, he said, Will you please forgive me? I could have said that a little different or sweeter. And will you let me make it up to you? Will you come over here and eat supper with me and my wife? We're older and we'll cook supper. If you're... I'm not coming. Please come. Please, the only way I'll, I'll be able to deal with this that I've hurt you is if you'll come. And he just keeps her on the line. And before long, she says, Okay, I'll come. And she goes. And he just loves her. And the old woman just loves her. And they fix her beans and potatoes and cornbread. And then they invite her again, and again, and again. And that desolate, lost, without hope young woman gets radically and gloriously born again from above. And the Lord Jesus takes care. Quit trying to change people and help them with their sin. Get them to the cross. Get them to Christ. She now writes books that stir our souls. And guess what? Now that hospitality, that radical hospitality that brought her to faith in Jesus Christ, she now has a home redeemed for the gospel. What she's doing is she's strengthening her stakes so she can lengthen her cords and her influence. I'm standing in the cotton pick of Chicago tonight talking about her because of what Jesus did in her life. And her cords have been lengthened because the stakes have been strengthened. And tonight, I want to talk to you about what it's going to mean for your family. Maybe you want to live in this little bitty circle. Maybe you want to live in Manhattan or Monet. Am we Monet or Monet? What did I say? Or wherever it is, you want to live right there. And you don't want to influence anybody. You just want to eke into heaven yourself and not have any part of seeing somebody come to Christ that's never heard the gospel in Brazil. Maybe you don't want to take the gospel to, to the story I was telling last night about that, that Himalayas trip that David Platt took. But I'm going to tell you, I want to see Amir give his heart to Jesus Christ, that little boy. I got a burden for Katie's friends in the city of Salzburg, and now I got a burden because of YouTube, thanks a lot, for the people in Benton, Arkansas that need to know Jesus Christ, including a cool haircutting guy with that limps on his hip a little bit right now. I'm talking to you about strengthening your stakes. I'm interested in this. You see, I'm afraid my stakes have been so limited. I'm afraid my little inf God wanted to take the gospel in my life and brighten a lot of other places, but because I've limited him and I haven't strengthened my stakes, I haven't been able to lengthen my cords. And I'm a camper now. I haven't told you that, but I always had a desire for a motorhome. I always wanted a motorhome. Now, don't get a picture of a big, sleek uh, $100,000 unit. No. I wanted, and I'm a simple person, I just wanted an old motorhome. I really wanted a classic. So guess what the Lord's given me? I got a picture. I'll show you after the service. I should have had it up on the screen. It's a 1990 Jayco, 26 foot, 38,000 actual miles, Class C motorhome. It's the coolest deal you've ever seen in your life. It's sitting underneath a shed 
it was, in my buddy's daddy's house. His daddy's 90. Sitting underneath the shed there for years because my buddy drove it to Florida one time, cost him $500 for gas down there back. He parked that thing and said, I'm done with this. Forget that. Me, I don't care about that. I wanted a motorhome. I said, what do you take for it? He said, I'll let you have it for $3,000. Now, I'm not a millionaire, but I'm a thousandaire man. I'm telling you that right now. I peeled that $3,000 off. Boom, boom, boom. I put a battery in it and put new tires where the tires are dry rotted, and I'm running that thing all over the place right now in North Carolina, having the time of my life. Pray for Terry. Pray for Terry. She's becoming a camping wife, but boy, are we having fun. Grandkids are loving it. I'm camping now, so I've learned some things about stakes, driving stakes. I'm learning some things about cords. Some of you know way more about it than I do. Some of you are thinking right now, let me close in you know, just a minute or two. Pastor, how do I strengthen my stakes? Hey, I'm just learning this myself. The truth is, I was raised in such a strict, stringent little world that my stakes weren't so deep that my cords could go very wide. In fact, they wanted to tell me where to put my cords. You don't take your cords over there. You keep your cords over there. You keep your stakes right here, and you make sure it's within our little circle where everybody thinks the same. And I and look here, I love I love all my friends that want to live like that, but I can't live like that. I want my stakes drove real hard and fast, so the longest cord that I could have for my life, how many ever years God gives me, I can take that cord as far as God wants it taken, so I can spread that tent out to include all the desolate and all the Gentiles and all the people around me. I want to see rich people and poor people and black people and white people and Asian people and uh, and people from all over the world. I want God, if He can, to use a... By the way, isn't it interesting how He uses very simple, very, very simple people and, and very simple opportunities for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how in the world am I to do that? Well, let me just give you two or three thoughts. My mind went back to a little message I heard as a young preacher from an old man by the name of Manly Beasley. That old boy right there, his life has so touched me. He was full of faith. I'll tell you more about him sometime when we're just hanging around talking, but he taught me how to believe God. And Manly says the laws of the Christian life, I call these mistakes, are as follows. Number one, relationships. You've got to have a relationship, authentic relationship with Jesus that goes deep, 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 deep. If not, you'll never be able to take your cords, lengthen your uh, cords. Your stake has to be deep in the relationship. It's going to take intimacy with God at a new level. Not only relationship, listen to the next one, fellowship. I mean communion with him. I, I have a meeting with him every morning before I meet Terry. In fact, I'm not in a, I'm not in a place to be a husband or a friend or a pastor or a preacher or a leader until I've had fellowship with the king. And he welcomes me to come come on in here. I can almost hear him say that uh, as I step across the threshold into that place where I fellowship with him. Relationship, fellowship, listen to this one, lordship. Boy, there's a word we don't hear in the church very often anymore. Have you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus? If you do that, let me tell you, by the way, buckle your seatbelts. If you decide that. When you let him be Lord 
and you stop being Lord, what you've done is you've fully surrendered to Him and you're driving them stakes down real deep then because He can ask you anything if He's Lord. And Lordship takes you to a whole new level. Relationship, fellowship, Lordship. And then comes after that another ship that nobody wants to talk about and that was the stewardship. That's the one where, by the way, I can tell you, my wife can testify to this. I lived poor as dirt. She did too. We never went anywhere when we were little. Uh, this man felt sorry for us one time and took us to the beach. I'd have never seen the beach in my life. Terry hadn't. We never had much of anything. When I left my home church where I was working on the staff uh, to go to Dunn in 1984, I had not been faithful in tith- even tithing, much less giving the missions. I had not. And the reason it happened is I justified it because I only made $13,000 a year and had three kids. And I, I'm saying, Lord, I, I'm going to starve to death. I'll starve to death. I justified it. I'm giving my time, Lord. Boy, don't that sound spiritual. But when I got done and became the lead pastor, I knew they would check. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to go ahead and start tithing. Lord, I feel led to tithe. And so I started uh, tithing and giving an offering. Terry, do you remember the first time we had a missionary speaker? Remember, we committed $2 a week to Faith Promise. Look, I'm going to challenge you. If you've never given to missions, you want to you see your life change. Just go ahead and put that, just even $2 a week or $5. The next year, we did $10 and then $20 and then $50 and then $100 and then $200. And now we lead to giving. We don't make the most money in our church. And I don't tell them. If we're on Facebook, uh, he asked me last night, if on, some of them might know it now because I just told it. But I, we give more missions than anybody else does. And I'm going to tell you something right now. We're not doing without. I got a 1990 motorhome. Woohoo! I have a 1955 F100 truck they gave me when I was at the church for 30 years. Everything I've ever wanted. I got a precious wife. I have six, I have, uh, I call them all, so it's, uh, five children and six grandchildren, and God has blessed me. I'm standing in Monet or Monet or wherever it is tonight, preaching the gospel. But here's where it all started. Am I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and does He really own everything I own? I don't own anything tonight. That house I have, 106 Basin Street, Dunn, North Carolina, it's got my name on it, but I don't own it. <laughs> Somebody else is going to live in that house one of these days true but I belong to him drive those stakes deep listen limit your social media and strengthen your stakes make your life count I'm talking about uh, J.D. Greer said and it's crazy one of our young preachers who's now the president of Southern Baptist Convention we're on our way from the hotel over here tonight and I was playing with your radio pastor and I pushed one button and, and it was him that same boy that used to sit in our church and, and listen to me preach the gospel that I took to win souls. He's sitting, he's preaching on the cotton picking radio in Chicago and I'm thinking, Lord, look, here's what he said. It's not how many you gather, but how many you scatter. And you know who I'm thinking about tonight? I'll tell you who I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about Jimmy. Remember Jimmy? And, 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 and uh, Amanda, I thought I had that right. Remember Kenan and Sarah? And Bill was here last night. Right? And Amy in Orlando. And Adam and Brenda. This church, you guys have been doing some of this. But if you'll strengthen your stakes, you can lengthen your cords even more. You can lengthen it 
to all the places that are represented here in this conference and go way beyond here. Your life can count. I remember when I left in 1984 my home church, there were some tears. There were some tears when your people left. They sent me down there to that little town of Dunn where I've been for 35 years. I don't know how many people have been saved there. I don't know how many people have been called out. It's been a bunch. I'm going to spend most of my retirement years preaching, and many of the places I preach are going to be in the churches that where the people have come out of the congregation I lead or people that are within their scope of influence. I'm just saying it's all worth it. When we sent Marty to West Virginia or Joey to Greensboro, North Carolina, or Michael most recently to Helena, Montana to pastor the, to the, uh, the Big Sky Fellowship there, there were tears as we sent them. But what we were doing was we were just strengthening. To, this week where it's about strengthening our stakes so we can lengthen our cords and extend the influence. God is building his family and he wants us to be a part of it. Vision for new neighborhoods and new communities and new cities and states and countries with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm closing. I heard uh, Jack Graham say not long ago, he said, so hats off to the past and coats off to the future. That's a good word right there. You didn't pay a dime for this, but I'm going to sing one little phrase of a song that's been on my heart all day. Listen to this. From the north, the south, east and west, all nations will gather in. God will trade his blood-stained rugged cross for a royal diadem. And they will bow before him and worship this king. They won't drive nails in his hands or his feet, but they'll proclaim that in the highest He's the Lord of everything and they'll never crucify Him again. That's the gospel that we have to preach. Let's strengthen our stakes so we can lengthen our cords. Let's bow our heads together.